Well, happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. Good to have you here with us this morning at Chantilly Bible Church. Whether you're worshiping here with us in person or you are, has been noted, worshiping with us in your home via the internet, we're so grateful to the Lord to have you here with us today. As Mike mentioned a moment ago, my name is Milt Johnson, and today we are truly wrapping up a 12-week, 13-week sermon series we've entitled Faithful Standing on the Promises of God. And and we thought it would be appropriate in the teaching team, it was really a burden that God laid it on my heart, um, that we take some time to acknowledge, review, celebrate, sing about the many promises that each week we've looked at this summer as we launch into the fall to be fortified and reminded that our God is a good God, that he is a God who keeps his promises. He never, never uh, misses uh, meeting his promise. And we wanted to take some time to celebrate that. May I ask you a personal question? You know, as we, we were just singing a moment ago, all my life you've been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. What, what goes on in your mind and your heart when you sing that? I've got to tell you, my heart just floods with, uh, with the faithfulness of God in my life, my children, my family, the ministries that I've been involved in. That's kind of what we want to do today as we look into God's word. The truth is, the scriptures are filled with many, many promises. Thousands of people have tried for centuries to try to number them all. I don't know if they've ever accomplished 3,000, 8,000, whatever. It is filled with many, many promises. And I want to remind you today as we get into God's word that these are not flippant or casual promises such as the ones we often make. These are promises. These are rock-solid, unequivocal commitments or promises that our holy God has made to us in his word. And so we can enter into the study with the full assurance in our hearts that what God has promised, it will be realized exactly in his timing, the way he said. I like to say, as my title implies today, God's promises, God promises to keep his promises. Now, I want to say, if you didn't get a note sheet coming in, it would be really helpful. So I, I would just encourage you to get that. Fill out these notes. You're going to feel a little bit bombarded. We're going to cover quite a bit of material here and uh, we're doing that just to be remindful of, of, of the many promises that we've looked at this summer. I want to begin by sharing a story with you about a man named Russell Herman. Well, it seems that Russell Herman in 1994 died. He, he lived in Marion, uh, Illinois, and when he died, in his last will and testament, he gave this astonished instructions. He left the following things here, $2.4 billion to Cave and Rock Illinois, 2.4 billion to the city of uh, South or uh, East uh, St. Louis, 1.5 billion for projects in southeastern Illinois, and as a final act of his unprecedented generosity, he left six trillion dollars to the Federal Reserve to help them pay off the national debt. Just one problem. At the time of his death, the only true possession that Mr. Herman actually owned was an 11-year-old beat-up 1983 Oldsmobile Toronado. You know, Russell Herman may not have left much in a monetary way, value, but I do believe he left us a good reminder. The bottom line you see is that he didn't have the resources to make good on his final wishes and promises. 
And I hope you have seen over and over again as we've been doing this study, that is not true of God. He has all the means to make good on his promises. He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And, and his infinite abilities make it possible for God to be sovereign and in complete control of everything. He is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And thus, what he says is true, and his promises will be fulfilled. Let me give you a few quick reminders from God's word to that truth. Psalm 89, verse 34, God tells us this. This is his own testimony. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Likewise, in Proverbs 30, verse 5, God says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I love Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. By no means an exhaustive list here, but it says here, so God has given both his promises and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible. Hear that? It is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies behind, before us. And so I don't know where you're coming from as you enter here today, wherever, whatever experiences you've had, whatever you may even be thinking here today, I'm here to attest to the fact that God in his word, is, and it, it, he makes it very clear that it is, most certain thing, it is the most certain thing in the world that he will keep his promises. And, and, and I've got to say, no, the, the, the promises God may not appear or occur the way we prefer or hope. His timing is perfect, but they are faithful nonetheless, wherever you're at. As I noted earlier, he has never broken a promise, and our God never will. Amen? Amen. Our God has never broken a promise, and he never will. So I want to take a few minutes to think with you today, well, why did God give us all these promises? And I could give you multiple responses to that, but I want to leave you with three. As we prepare our heart today to worship together and celebrate the Lord's table together, I want to give you three thoughts. First, God, God's promises bring us rock-solid hope. God's promises bring us rock-solid hope. I was thinking back as I got to this point in my sermon um, all my life, I can say this to be true, but especially as we've been walking through the very challenging and dark and difficult times of the pandemic and life and ministry, I found that it was only by immersing myself in God's word and God's promises that I was able to keep going. When I found myself anxious, it was God's promises that gave me peace. When I found myself afraid, it was God's promises that gave me courage. When I was discouraged, God's promises, they, they gave me hope. And when I, when I was tired of waiting, boy, I had a lot of problem with that. I am a control freak. And not being in control during that time and having to wait on the Lord, God's promises gave me endurance. And when I was lonely, and I felt very lonely because I'm also a very people person, God's promises reminded me of his constant, never-ending presence. I learned, as C.S. Lewis puts it, God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, and he shouts in our pain. Anybody else learn that lesson? I think a lot of us did. The bottom line is this. God's promises are meant to give his children peace, purpose, and sustenance in this ever-changing, chaotic, and confusing, and crazy world. I like what Paul Tripp 
says about the appropriate impact of God's promises on a believer's heart. When he says this, God's promises are meant to blow our mind and settle our hearts. I love it. Now, that being noted, it really does break my heart. It amazes me sometimes to see the number of believers I meet every day who are in a state of some kind of a spiritual paralysis. And I tell you, when I start talking to them, what I find is either they don't know the promises of God, or they no longer believe the promises of God. And as a result, what, do you, what we find them doing is they're running, rather than standing firmly on God's promises, they're running to the fleeting and empty promises of the world to meet their needs and find that ultimate satisfaction in their peace. Uh, I saw a sign yesterday called the Church of Winery. I don't know if that's where people go to wine or what, but, uh, but, but God's word is so clear. If in this life we have only hope in the things of this world, we are going to be among the most miserable. They're always going to let us down. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says when he wisely admonishes believers with these words, let us not treat God's promises as if they were curiosities for a museum, but rather believe them apply them and use them. That's what God's desire is. That's the only way we can really enjoy the benefits of God's promises. And by the way, we appropriate God's promises. We use God's promises when and only when we're reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture, as we're getting on our knees and we're praying meditative prayers, as we're doing life together as other believers gather together for community, and as we patiently learn to give God time to work in our lives in His way and our daily experiences. It's not always easy, I have to admit. I wonder today, if you were honest with yourself on who or what promises are you standing? On who or what promises are you standing? The second reason for God's promises is God's promises, I believe, are meant to leave us in awe or wonder. God's promises are meant to leave us in awe and wonder. Just think about it for a minute. Our God, our mighty God, has not stopped being faithful even for a second. Today, he is as faithful as when he spoke light into this world. When he parted the Red Sea as we studied Exodus. When he preserved the Israelites from the plagues in the wilderness. When he delivered Daniel from the lion's den. When he caused a virgin to conceive. When he raised Jesus from the dead. And amazingly, he made it possible for by grace through faith for anyone who will put their trust in Jesus to be saved and redeemed forever. That's an amazing God. God's faithfulness doesn't change, it never shifts. Not the weather, the government, the economy, or even our own personal lives can ever stop God from being faithful. It is who he is. It's not only what he does, it's who he is. Even if we are faithless, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, reminds us that he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And I believe that God wants his church, as we're doing here today, to regularly pause and, and, and to acknowledge together as a community and to sing about and to thank God that in a world filled with broken promises, we serve a God, we worship a God today who can be counted on fully and trustworthy. Our God is faithful and true. Amen? Amen. Our God is faithful and true. And I want to celebrate that with you today. And I thought it would be appropriate and to, to kind of take some time to kind of... How many of you were here for every single sermon in the Promise Series? I, I see a few hands. 
What I want to do is I want to soak up some time together with you in the scriptures of all the promises. I want to walk through them. Not an exhaustive list, but the promises that we looked at this summer remind you of the promise and maybe give us a little challenge or an encouragement to apply them. That we launch into the fall with, some, with, with the promises of God, standing firm on them, okay? Um, as we recall and we reflect on them, I hope that we will see and rejoice together that we serve a God who loves to make promises and keep promises to his people. I hope, too, that it might bring that solid hope that we just talked about into our lives, our ministries, and into our family. It might leave us with a sense of all that we will respond at the afterwards of the communion and singing together. That's the plan. You ready? Here we go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is where we started, one of my favorite passages. I couldn't think of a better place to start. And that was where we learned that when we fully trust God, God promises he will direct our steps. As I place these words up onto the screen, let's read them together just to get us started here. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Are we trusting in God in that way? Are we allowing him to direct our steps? That's the first problem. When we fully trust God, he will direct our steps. The second sermon we looked at was from John chapter 1, verse 12, where we learned from Pastor Mike that God is our father and we are his children. Has that ever, that blows me away. God is our father and we are his children. Listen to John 1, 12. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, if we didn't get that, he writes again, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we, listen to this, that we should be called the children of God so that we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, John says we become a child of God. And God didn't have to make us his children, but what I see in there is God's desire that we would be his children. In other words, regardless of how others think of us, regardless of what we even think about ourselves, we can be confident today, we can hold on to the promise that our life holds value in the heart of our great God. That's how much he, for God so loved the world, right? We'll look at that in just a minute. The third sermon that we looked at was Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. And there we discovered God is faithful, we need not fear. God is faithful, we need not fear. Anybody carrying some anxiety today? I, I, I feel we are. Listen to what God says here. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I wonder, do you ever feel in the challenges of your life as though you're crossing a raging river? or that you're walking or drowning in deep waters, or you're feeling consumed by the fire. The principle that I see here is we need not fear because God is walking right alongside of us. We need not fear. What are you walking through today? In whom or what are you trusting to get you through it? When we trust in God, we need not fear. In the fourth week, we looked at Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. And here we're reminded that though we are weak, and we're pretty weak, God, our God, is strong. 
Here, describing utter destruction uh, that was brought about by an invading Babylonian army. Here's what Habakkuk boldly declares. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. In other words, starvation, right? No resources. Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It is so easy, isn't it, to rejoice and give thanks when everything is going positively in our lives. But what about those moments when we're living in the midst of difficult challenges and overwhelming hardships? That's what makes Habakkuk's message so powerful. Stand out here. Even when the world was falling down around him and, and there was no silver lining of hope to look at in the future, still Habakkuk was committed to being joyful in, his, in, in the resources of his God. He trusted him fully. What are we trusting in today when those overwhelming circumstances hit us in life? In the fifth sermon... Uh, Tom Cantalina looked at Exodus 2.24 with us, and there we learned that though we don't always understand, God knows. When we don't understand, God knows. And here we looked at the passage that Moses uh, assured the people who were enslaved in slavery some 400 years, I believe, with these words. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. Um, you know, I've seen even the strongest of men groan when it seems that the weight of the world is on their shoulders. But don't miss this. The Lord, my friends, hears every sigh that escapes our lips. And notice that as we're going through this, he is going through it with us and that he cares. What are you caring today? Cast your cares upon the Lord, it says, and he will sustain you. God knows your heart. Are you trusting in him to get you through? In the sixth sermon, we, we studied a very familiar passage, John 3, 16, the words of Jesus, and we discovered that because Jesus was born below, I love the way Mike put this together, we can be born above. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, Scripture tells us, Jesus says here, shall not perish but have eternal life. Here in this one verse captures the entire profound truth of the gospel, doesn't it? God, in his love for a lost and broken world, sent his son, making it possible for everyone who will put their trust in him to have eternal life. That's an awesome promise, isn't it? Have you trusted in it? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? Is that something we're telling other people about? Is that promise so important to us that we're telling people who don't yet know him about this promise? What an awesome, awesome God we serve that loves us that much that because Jesus was born below his incarnation, we can be born above. The seventh week, we looked at another passage where Jesus promises in John chapter 3, 6, verse 33, that when we trust him, we put God first, and we're going to see a lot of this as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. He 
will meet our needs. There's this reordering. But seek first, it says here, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these basic needs that we're so scurrying about will be added to you. And here we see a promise by Jesus that when we, you and I, choose to trust God and pour our lives into things that carry everlasting weight and eternal value, God says, I will provide for your needs. Not always easy to trust, but God says, I will provide for your needs when you put me first and you trust in me completely. We jump back into the Old Testament in the next sermon on the eighth week, Jonah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and we learn that God, I love this passage, never gives up on his own. You'll remember the story of Jonah. I think most of us know it. But uh, Jonah actually thought that he could outrun God or hide from God, disobey God's will. And uh, when he cries out to God here in Jonah chapter 2, he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. And here's what he said. I called out to God, the Lord, out of my distress, listen, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all the waves and your billows passed over me. You remember when I preached this sermon, I very distinctly noted that while it's not a happy place to be in the belly of a great fish, a happy place to dwell, it certainly is a great place to learn from. Many of us, I think, have had that experience. And the bottom line is this, and I, I take great comfort in this, we may fail and give up on God, but our God never gives up on his own. Amen? He never gives up on I wonder today if there's somebody sitting here today that in some sense is running or hiding from God. The invitation here is turn back to God. He's waiting. He's waiting. In week nine, we learn from Dr. Curtis from John chapter 14, again, the words of Jesus, that Jesus has prepared heaven for us. Hours before he goes to the cross, his disciples are beside himself with fear, and here's what he says. We often hear these uh, verses read at at funerals, but I believe, as Dr. Curtis showed us, it's also a reminder of what we have waiting for. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, and that where I am you may also be. Most assuredly, Jesus says, there is coming a day when, uh, when his followers will see him face to face. Jesus will return, and he will take his church to that place that he has been preparing for 2,000 years. Are you going to be there? Are you ready? Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? In, in week 10, Mike, Pastor Mike taught on the promise, God is good and God is sovereign. I thought he handled it very masterfully when he dealt with Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the, the Lord establishes his steps. And practically speaking, this is addressing the simultaneous truth that along with our freedom and our accountability of choice, God is always at work. An all-good, powerful, set plan in all the circumstances according to his pur purposes. I, I love the companion verse in Psalm 37, 23 and 24, where it says the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and, and, and he delights in his way. And then it goes on to say, if that man should fall, he will not fall headlong, for the Lord is the one who holds 
his hand. Amazing God we serve, folks, an amazing God. And week 11, our sermon series with Pastor John dealt with Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And here we had an invitation from Jesus to come to God, listen, and he will give us rest. He will give us rest. And he pointed out very clearly, this is not necessarily like he just ran a marathon, but it's inner rest, it's soul rest. And we get that kind of rest through Jesus. He says here, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, comparing here the heavy burden of the Pharisees and the, the grace and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, we can have rest. An invitation, are you experiencing today the inner rest that Jesus is talking about here? And finally, that was a lot, wasn't it? It was a lot. You should have seen me trying to squeeze all this into a 20-minute sermon this week or 25. Week 12, we looked at Isaiah 41.10, my absolute favorite verse. Every time I come up to pray or preach, I always quote this verse in a prayer. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Are you hearing this? God, I will strengthen you, is saying to it. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Today, folks, just like ancient Israel, we are surrounded, as Mike pointed out, by seemingly infinite things to be afraid of. <laughs> We're bombarded by them. And despite of all the difficulties and challenges that we are facing today, because of the uniqueness of God's presence and power in our lives, in contrast to all the worthless and helpless nature of the false gods of this world, we need not be afraid. What are you afraid of today? Let me challenge you to look over these promises, make them your own, claim them by faith, open way in your heart for, the, for God to reveal himself in a way that he's never done before. And to help you do that, the preaching team uh, put together this little bookmark that re recounts all of the promises that we just went through this summer. Put it in your pocket, carry it at work, put it in your Bible, wherever you can find it, review these promises. You'll get one of these as you walk out the door today. Well, so far in our study, we have seen that God's promises are meant to bring us rock solid hope. And secondly, I hope, leave us in all as we review all the promises that he's given us. I would like to share a third thought here, that God's promises find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God's promises, every one of them, find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And I, I derive that from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 19 and 20 that Mike read earlier. Listen to this. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All my, the heart of my message, Paul says, is the person of Jesus Christ. 
he completely affirms God's promises with a resounding yes, and through him are a man of sense to God for his glory. Think about it in his incarnation, incarnation, his death, his resurrection, God's redemptive plan. They are the ultimate proof that God keeps his promises altogether true, that God's word stands forever. And thus I believe we can't begin to truly understand the depth and the beauty of God's promises until we see them brought to light in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Even looking back at our promises that we just reviewed, let me remind you that Jesus lived his entire life fully trusting and obedient to the Father. He did nothing outside of the Father's will. In 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2, verses 21 through 24, I remind you as we prepare our hearts now to celebrate the Lord's table, this is what it says of Jesus. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, I love this, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. My friends, as we now prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's table together, I want to remind us all to give thanks as we consider the many, many promises we enjoy that have been carried out by Christ on our behalf. As we celebrate together how the Lord came to earth as our sin substitute and fulfilled all the ordained promise of God so that we could be set free from the curse of sin by faith in him, let us rejoice individually and together. May we never forget that Christ's sacrifice on the cross, I love this, stamped the authority of God on his promises to us. For all of the promises, it says here, of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God forever and ever. We're going to participate now together in the Lord's table. And I want to invite each, you don't have to be a member to participate. All we ask is that you've placed your trust in Jesus. We want to allow time to prepare our hearts because the scriptures instruct us to take time to let God search our heart. And if there's anything that would make us unworthy, we need to confess that. So I want to give you some quiet time. I'll remind you that as you sit here in your chairs in a moment or two, we're going to get up and we're going to walk to the different stations uh, over in the corners. Please pick up that cup and make sure you take some time to open it because it can be tricky at times. We want to partake of it together. So I want to give you some time as the servers are coming up. Let's take a moment to pray and then we'll go ahead and serve the Lord's table together. Celebrate it. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you today for the reminder from your word that our Savior's sacrifice on the cross stamped the authority of your authority on the promises that you give to us. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that he was so faithful, 
that, he, that you so love the world that you gave your only son that whoever might place their trust in him will have eternal life. As we take time to remember how all our lives you have been faithful, as we take time to sing about in closing, Lord, we pray that you, uh, working in and through this community, will be glorified and honored. And as Mike reminded us earlier, that we might leave here transformed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.